Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's August 4th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and as always, I'm here with my trusty co-host Austin Knight. How is Texas and how are you, Austin? <laughs> Texas is hot and I am paranoid because we have had <laughs> a week of exploits. Man, oh. what a wild ride this has been. Yeah, I did for a moment think you were going to say, Texas is hot and so am I. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the hubris I want to start the show with. I like it. Uh, <laughs> but in the world of crypto, yeah, we have had a lot of exploits, which is the running theme of this year and last year, it would seem. Um, interesting one that we're going to dig into on Solana. Uh, much different to most exploits that we've seen before and um, has affected a lot of people over the past 24 hours. Bunch of other hacks that we're going to kind of cover here. Uh, and then we've got some fun stuff. A lot of things going on uh, with uh, Michael Saylor as making some moves, some more interesting things on the Solana non-hack related that we'll dig into. We'll dive into all of that right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step -step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Our first story of the day, we'll begin on a high point, an exploit, uh, yet again, unfortunately. This one has been a pretty wild ride over the past 24 hours, actually, and it's uh, involved the Solana blockchain, been about $6 million worth of assets, largely uh, SOL tokens, as well as USDC and a smaller basket of just like other uh, altcoins within the Solana uh, ecosystem, <clears throat> being drained from individual wallets. Now, when we usually talk about exploits, we talk a lot Austin about like bridges being hacked, right? And it's usually like the smart contract in the bridge has been hacked and it's drained the um the the bridges like hot wallet or uh even in some cases got into like the multi-sig and it's drained the funds there. This isn't what's happened here. What's been happening, and we started to hear reports of people kind of opening up their Solana wallets, whether that be on uh, Slope Wallet, Phantom Wallet, Soul. Um, uh, what's the other? What's the other wallet called? Um, Soul Flare. That's the other one. It, basically, any Solana-based wallet, <clears throat> and they're like, "Oh, I have just had my wallet drained," which is very suspicious. Now, usually in these situations, and I think about, um, I think we covered the OpenSea exploit not long ago, where basically someone does a transaction with a platform. Um, where they connect with a smart contract. It's very common this happens with uh, decentralized exchanges where you're maybe swapping tokens. And what can often happen is you can either approve the single transaction to go through. I want to swap 10 Solana for 
I don't know, 4,000 USDC. And you just approve those exact amounts. Anything beyond that will be declined. Or you can just give unlimited access so that in the future, you never have to do that approval time and time again. This is usually a big attack vector because lots of people, especially in like the DeFi summer, they were just kind of, and in many cases, a lot of decentralized exchanges back then by default just didn't have a limit on the transactions moving forward. So if there was an exploit in the smart contract uh, of the decentralized exchange, they could drain all of the wallets that were linked to it. This, this isn't how this is happening. People were going in, removing any of those like approvals, which by the way, you, you can go in and do this in your wallet and check any of those approvals a lot of the time. I always recommend doing this in things like MetaMask and stuff. Um, but that wasn't happening and there was no real pattern to what was going on. And what kind of became apparent is, <clears throat> well, th- this doesn't actually seem like there's a problem with the Solana blockchain. There wasn't a kind of a security compromise on Solana itself. There was no noticeable pattern that was coming from a specific smart contract, an exchange, a bridge, anything like that. It, it was kind of all a little bit random. And what has transpired here, in amongst a lot of misinformation during the chaos of the attack, is that these wallets have been accessed with private keys, seed phrases. The the, the hackers, uh, quote-unquote hackers, those exploiting this, have actually had just full access to people's wallets. They can log in like like if you owned the wallet and they've just been pulling funds out as they like, um, uh, as if they own the wallets themselves. This is a crazy situation because once your private key is exposed and anyone else other than yourself knows that private key, there is no recovering that wallet. That wallet is compromised and always will be. So it's a race to getting your funds out of that wallet before the other individual or individuals um, <clears throat> are able to drain drain it from you first. So here's, here's what's kind of played out. There was a lot of like digging that started going into the wallet side of things. And it's actually been a while since we've ever had like a big exploit in a wallet. And I would say of all the areas where you don't want there to be issues, it's at the wallet level because it has the potential to impact the most people. And there is a relatively popular wallet called the Slope Wallet. It's a Solana-based wallet. And what has transpired and has been proven to be the case is that the Slope uh, team have just been demonstrating some incredibly poor OPSEC, like really poor security, borderline the absolute basics here, where they have been transmitting unencrypted seed phrases, private keys of wallets in the communications, literally typed out in regular plain text, full private keys. This is this is unbelievable negligence. And for for any of the hackers looking to exploit this, all they had to do was get access to some of these um, data transmissions uh, on uh, between the slope wallets, and they'd be able to just see the private keys, open up any wallet software, log in via the, uh, the, the private key, and they have full unfiltered access to that wallet. And and as I mentioned, you know, once someone has either your seed phrase or private key, it is game over. 
the wallet can never be used again. So I, <clears throat> I will start here by just saying, if you have ever connected your wallet to Slope, or you have used Slope in any way, even if you don't use that as your primary wallet, even if you use, say, Phantom uh, or Soulflower or any of these other wallets, if at any point you used Slope, your wallet is likely either currently or about to be compromised. Move funds out of that wallet. What you need to do right now is if you have a hardware wallet, you should immediately transfer funds from your Solana wallet into the hardware wallet. Hardware wallets are completely safe in this respect because their private keys are not exposed. So you don't need to worry about that. If you do not have a hardware wallet, transfer this into a centralized exchange. This is the best thing to do right now is just in the short term until you can get yourself a hardware wallet, throw it into Coinbase, throw it into Binance, whatever. Just just transfer it in into your account there and just keep it there. This is one of the few situations where I'd say it's much safer to hold your assets in a centralized exchange than in your own wallet. Um, <clears throat> and you know, if if your wallet was impacted and you've had some funds that are being transferred, like try and recover whatever you can. If regardless, when you've done transferring, never use that wallet again. Um, incredibly unfortunate. Uh, I feel for people that have lost any funds in this, little or large. I think this is a good reminder to push hardware wallets, but at the same time, oof, this is this is going to hurt a lot of people. I think about a lot of people that have been recently joining, kind of the uh, the big boom in GameFi and NFTs on the Solana blockchain. Spun up wallets probably aren't um, at the stage where they're using hardware wallets, but they're they're, they're practicing self-custody and they're getting burned here. Not a good one, but it is worth calling out that this, this does not appear to in any way be a Solana blockchain issue. The security of the Solana blockchain has not been compromised. It is a issue that has occurred at the slope wallet level. Um, so yeah, not great, Austin, right? Yeah, it's sad to see it happening. It is, you know, a bit of a unique and interesting attack. So if you, as Matt said, if you feel that you could be compromised here, of course, do what you can to protect yourself, move your funds to a hardware wallet or a centralized exchange. But if you're on the sidelines, I do think that this is going to be a really interesting one to dissect. Um, I was reading this just fascinating story um, on Decrypt that was breaking down what essentially vigilantes on Solana had done to battle against the hacker in real time. And it's just wild to see this sort of unfold. But there were a, a bunch of people that had actually come together to use a previously created script, like an old script that would try and uh, essentially write lock the attackers' accounts and slow their transactions down. They spun up mm. a bunch of bots to run this script. And what's interesting is that effectively what this would do is create malformed transactions that would either slow down or prevent the transactions from executing successfully. Mm. And it's unclear exactly what effect that this had, but it does look like it had some positive effect because they're saying that when this script was running with all of these spam bots, only 300 wallets were affected during that hour. But wow. the average 
was about 2000 per hour beforehand. So it does look like the spamming had an effect. It's kind of wild to see, you know, this play out with like, what do you call them? White hat or gray hat hackers. Yeah. But there was some collateral damage too. actually the RPC servers, which facilitate the network traffic actually started to crash. And then this caused (laughs) like Solana. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then like, you know, if that's happening, you can't, you know, if you're just a normal person, you can't really withdraw your funds or, or, or manage them or anything like that. So this creates yeah. a, a different problem and, and a degree of panic. Um, it's certainly it wild like to it, see this unfold. Yeah. Well, it seems like uh, what I like about this is, you know, it, it was slowing things down. The real challenge with this attack is, you know, like I was mentioning, if there's like a smart contract uh, issue, et cetera, things like that, right? You can... Technically, like a an absolute last resort, this would rarely ever happen, but a technical last resort would be like they could just stop processing blocks. They could they could actually shut down the Solana blockchain, right? Like and fix an issue, deploy it, and then start it again. The problem with an issue like this one is you're just buying time before the inevitable happens. You could shut down the whole blockchain, but the moment it resumes transactions are going to start going through and and, you know there's no way to you can never change your private key right like that's set in stone forever so i think this is what's been um i i hope this is not insensitive to say it's been kind of fascinating but it has been interesting to watch how this kind of like has played out i'm sure it's not been fascinating if you've been on the wrong end of this of course but again it does also just highlight the uh the real challenges with self-custody and highlights actually in all of this, how frequently you um, are relying and exposing some of this information to other platforms. Um, I think if we saw this kind of level of attack on something like MetaMask, it would be catastrophic. Um, and just to clarify, there is there is no current worry about that at all um but i think the scale would be so much more but we'll leave it there if um if you've been impacted by this our thoughts are obviously with you um and hopefully if there's anyone that was kind of like that didn't know and they've just listened to this episode and they can go and move some of their funds even if you've never used slope if you hold any kind of meaningful funds just just move them into a hardware wallet or into a central exchange for the time being just in case because we may find further developments in this where you know it might have been more than slope there's no reason to believe that but who knows so i would just play it safe rather than sorry yeah and on that note just to sort of prevent potentially causing panic i i will mention that these types of attacks typically do cause the price of the token to completely slide off into oblivion it doesn't look like that's happening in this case uh it, it has taken a hit but um it's relatively it's been relatively stable the last couple days so if you still want to hold soul um and you do so in a hardware wallet or a centralized exchange, I think you're going to be all right. At least so far, there yeah. hasn't been a total slide off into oblivion. It's trading right now around $38, $39. Uh, yeah, that so. was one of the first things I had a little look at. <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess what's happening here is there's not actually been any real sell action happening here. Ultimately, what the attack is doing is transferring funds out of 
uh, out of a wallet and into a new one. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what their potential exit strategy is here. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, any major dump of Sol, yeah, it would move the market, but it would become very obvious about what's happening. So, yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this. But with that, let's move into our second story of the day. ZB Exchange has lost nearly $5 million in a suspected hack and has since paused withdrawals. Now, I say suspected hack with purpose here. This hasn't been totally confirmed, but ZB.com has paused user withdrawals after it looks like nearly $5 million has been drained from their uh, hot wallet in a likely hack. It's it's looking more and more likely as time goes on. So now this is interesting. There hasn't been a deposit put down on that 51 million uh, super yacht, has there? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Watch the yacht market, everybody. <laughs> That's the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is kind of wild because ZB actually does around a billion dollars in trades every day, and they bill themselves as the world's most secure digital asset exchange. So if this were to be a, hi- a hack and $5 million were to be compromised, it would be quite a problem. It looks like $4.8 million in Tether, Polygon, Shiba Inu, and other digital currencies have potentially been compromised through this possible hack. So I've never, yeah. never heard of ZB Exchange before. Had you heard of uh, them? I, I hadn't, um, but I do know that they were previously based in China and operating from there. And then when oh, the okay. whole sort of like Chinese crackdown happened, um, they moved out of China and into Hong Kong and I believe Australia, um, oh, if okay. my memory is serving me correct. But that's about all that I know about them. Um, so I have to imagine that a lot of like this impact maybe would be localized to Asian markets. Mm. Um, But nevertheless, uh, what is supposedly the world's most secure digital asset exchange (laughs) (laughs) that is doing a billion dollars in in trades every day, um, you know, experiencing a hack to the tune of $5 million is uh, especially sort of, you know, contextualized amongst everything else that's happening this week is not super confidence inspiring. And it looks like the tokens were later sold on several decentralized exchanges uh, for ETH. So Mm. that is a typical behavior that we see. Now, ZB has not publicly acknowledged the hack, but for the pause, they uh, cited, quote, temporary maintenance in a post on their blog. Yes. Maintenance Um, in our our ETH accounts. Uh, Pumping that (laughs) that ETH for us all. Thank you, ZB. (laughs) So we'll see. You know, don't want to jump to conclusions, but... If, uh, if you're familiar with ZB Exchange, keep an eye on what is unfolding there. What's interesting to me about this one, Matt, is that I think that this could be like the third or fourth major hack or exploit in the last week or so within crypto. Yeah. We had that Solana private key hack that was just mentioned. We've had a GitHub malware attack with around yeah. 35,000 repositories infected, $100 million one attack. And then coming up next, <laughs> we have the Nomad Bridge attack, which is the fourth biggest DeFi exploit in history, which Matt is going to be covering. So wild times over the course of the past week. Certainly is, certainly is. And with that, why don't we jump in and we can dig into that Nomad 
Nomad Bridge hack. And we assure you all, this will be our last hack story of the day. Uh, well, at least what we have planned, unless something goes on our Twitter feed before. <laughs> going. All right, let's jump into story number three. Our third story of the day, as we've alluded to, is about the Nomad Bridge. This was a hack that has resulted in around about a mere $190 million worth of funds. The entire bridge was drained of its of its funds. So let me let me just start with with Nomad. Um, Nomad was a pretty significant bridge. Actually, it was a cross-chain bridge. It was focused on bridging assets between uh, the Ethereum blockchain, Avalanche, Evmos, Moonbeam, and Milkameda, which I had ne- which I had never heard of. Is a Cardano sidechain, but that's kind of beside the point, I guess. But yeah, they, they focus primarily on bridging between there. I'd never used Nomad before, but had seen it when I was trying to um, bridge uh, across some AVAX uh, a little while back. And I, I know that we've talked about bridges on the podcast before, and they seem to be the most common attack vector. So I just want to very, very briefly explain, like in an oversimplified way, the way like most bridges work. So the way it works is you'll have your funds on one blockchain. Let's let's imagine we want to take um, some ETH that we have on the Ethereum blockchain, and we want to move that to be ETH on the Avalanche blockchain. You deposit your funds from the ETH blockchain into the bridge. So you'd sign a transaction, start a smart contract that then deposits your ETH on one side of the bridge. Once the transaction's verified and the funds are received by the bridge, the bridge will then send the same amount of tokens to you on the destination blockchain, so on the Avalanche blockchain. So you will kind of see all over the space, and sometimes this takes like five, 10 minutes for this to happen, but effectively your ETH from the Ethereum blockchain will be locked up and uh, kind of kept in the, the bridge kind of fund. And then on the other side, they'll have like a wrapped ETH token that's on the Avalanche wallet that they will then release to you. And they, they will check when they are delivering the ETH on the Avalanche side, that it is the same amount of ETH that corresponds with what you deposited on the ETH side. Right? So it checks for this, this proof. Um, and that's obviously very important. Now, the issue came when the Nomad team pushed an update. And what that one of the unintentional side effects of the update in the code that the team pushed was it allowed anyone to withdraw funds from the bridge by using a previously verified transaction as proof that they've deposited their funds, even though they didn't deposit any funds at all. So this man, what what was starting to unfold earlier this week was there was a load of these deposits for like uh, 0.01 BTC showing in the bridge and then a resulting payout of 100 BTC. So you imagine be a pretty good deal if you could deposit 0.01 Bitcoin on one side and then get 100 Bitcoin on the other side. That sounds like a great deal to me. Uh, Sign me (laughs) up. Uh, But the the interesting thing here was, so so basically what all all that was needed, you didn't even really need to be particularly adept at at coding or anything. If you know how to push kind of a smart contract through even things like Etherscan, things like that, 
It was simply a case of finding a previously accepted transaction, updating it, and uh, pushing a transaction through with the, the previous proof in place. And you could basically spoof the transaction proof and pull out funds on the other side. Once this exploit was discovered, it basically became a feeding frenzy of just people draining the bridge. And honestly, the team, like this maybe started with one or two people that discovered the exploit. People saw what was going on, realized how it was done, and then just everyone was at it. Uh, it there was all kinds of people. And there were some people I actually saw on Twitter, someone who'd like drained like over a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and just tweeted the team and was like, hey, tried to recover some of these funds for you. Hit me up and tell me where to send these back. Like, I was like, wow, this is pretty great that someone would do something like that. So it was a little bit of that. But the thing that I found, I was watching this all unfold in real time. The team just did not even act remotely fast enough to prevent this. Like they could have at least slowed this down, recovered some of the funds. The team like tweeted on Tuesday, like I'll quote, we're aware of the incident involving the Nomad token bridge. We're currently investigating and we'll provide updates when we have them. About an hour later, all of the funds have been drained. They hadn't provided any updates. They hadn't done anything. So not great. And another bridge bites the dust here. So again, I uh, I think bridge is a critical infrastructure. They are showing to also be a major, major, major vulnerability. Um in situations yeah. like this, you know, it's largely the bridges, like the funds that were used uh, in the bridge are the ones that are drained. And if people are, there'll be a lot of people that are providing liquidity to the bridge and they'll have lost their funds. And then the actual, the team, the protocol itself has lost an enormous amount and will likely never recover from that. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I think most major bridges at this point have been, have been exploited. And it's not great. Yeah, it's it's wild. And in fact, I was reading this uh, report from Chainalysis that found that cross-chain bridge hacks have amounted to about $2 billion in losses or roughly 69% of all crypto hacks this year. It's just wild. Wow. And yeah, so $2 I mean, it's- billion uh, in yeah. what, what, like just over halfway through the year? It's, mm-hmm. it's really bad. And I mean, oh, yeah, granted, the uh, the Ronin blockchain was, what, was it 600 million, something like that? But still, there's, uh, there's a lot here. Um, sizable amounts of capital just getting wiped out. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Uh, the, the Ronin blockchain was a big one that, that we covered. That was, I think it amounted to about 540 million. There was also the Poly Network mm. uh, incident, which was, that was 600 million oh that's um, the one i think i'm thinking of the 600 one yeah and then i think yeah the, that was the solana one what's the solana wormhole um, yeah wormhole was like 325 million yeah that was a big um, one as well yeah so this one was 156 million that puts it at, at about i believe uh the seventh or eighth largest crypto theft of all time um wow. so not an accolade this you is hold. wild <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, across all of the top 10 crypto hacks, or around four of them now are relating to bridges. And those two that we mentioned at the beginning there, specifically the Ronin network attack and the Poly network attack, those are the two largest of all time. So mm. it's wild. It certainly is. All right, let's move on from the somber 
of hacks and exploits. Hopefully next week we're going to have a much more rosy kind of set of uh, uh, main stories. But we've got a load of extra little bits that we're going to talk through in the wrap-up to take a slightly different view and uh, maybe be a little bit more positive and certainly won't involve uh, 100 plus million in in losses at least (laughs) at least not initially uh all right let's jump into the wrap-up back to solana this i I think this is one of ah i think this is one of my favorite stories uh of of kind of the past few weeks maybe the past couple of months we talked austin about solana launching well um having plans to launch their solana phone and my (laughs) <laughs> my putting down of a deposit on that one. That's going to be fun. Uh, well, now they've taken this one step further. They've actually opened a real life retail store and a Web3 quote unquote embassy in New York City. It's open now. It's it's called Solana Spaces. It's in Hudson Yards, which is very high rent, I will say. And <clears throat> it's been launched in collaboration with the Solana Foundation. I will say, I saw some of the interior. It looks pretty nice. Um, it's a yeah, pretty it cool. Does. It is, isn't it? It looks really sleek. Um, and, you know, I think like, so I saw the Solana Spaces team, they were tweeting uh, a little bit about it, sharing kind of like the why behind this and saying, inside you'll learn how Solana works, what Web3 is, we'll set you up with a wallet and your first NFTs, guide you through your first on-chain transactions. It seems like this is their big like education slash onboarding play. And I really like that. I actually, I, I think this is, let's just abstract away from is this a good financial decision like for for a moment i think it's good to bring education in real life they i think it's also a clever brand play from solana um they accept solana as payment in the store obviously and you know there's there's this kind of cool interactive installation that's like visualizing the solana blockchain in real time shows like transaction done nfts minted things like that which is kind of cool and they had uh they have the degenerate ape academy nft collection that gallery displayed on the wall i'm sure they'll like uh change up some of that and uh, like i mentioned a lot of the store is definitely focused on onboarding including and i have mixed feelings about this one (laughs) Uh, they have this like private booth. You can see this on Twitter if you just search for like the Solana store. But they have uh, in in partnership with the Phantom Wallet, which is um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the biggest Solana wallet. Uh, it's definitely the best in my opinion, at least. But uh, where you go into this like it's almost like when you go and vote in the elections and you cover the curtain over you, you can set up your own Phantom Wallet, and there's like little bits of paper where you can write down your seed phrase for for safekeeping that does make me a little bit nervous like just (laughs) creating a wallet write my seed phrase and then walk out of the store it's like i feel like it's going to be the perfect pickpocket (laughs) potential but uh you know it's um there's no other great way i think it's a cool thing but no doubt the solana phone will be sold there next year too so i guess my question here austin you know is this is this crazy or genius Where, where, where do you sit on the scale I I think we'll find out. Uh, sometimes maybe crazy and genius are the same thing. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, and, and that's kind of how I feel about this is that it's, you know, a little unprecedented. It's they're trying something new. 
Uh, you're right. Hudson Yards, I think, you know, they're making a big splash. The, the industrial design and the interior decor of the space is really cool. I even spotted one of those floaty shoe displays yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the photos, um, they had a limited run of blank soul sneakers sort of hovering in midair. If, if you're mm. not familiar with this, it's like a sort of bracket that's magnetized. And then you put, a, I think you put a magnet in the shoe and it like floats in midair. And, and so cool. And isn't it? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. They're really wild. Definitely. You can go on Alibaba.com and get one for like 50 bucks if you want. <laughs> um so i mean it's kind of like a wild you know futuristic space and it's not i i would have to say it's it's probably not exactly what you're imagining like it's not an apple store you know they're definitely charting their own course here and you can tell that from just looking at the way that the space is designed that it's primarily focused on education and then creating the connection to you know, real world use cases as much as possible. And in that respect, I think it's not crazy. I I, I think it's a, a good and a smart effort. And uh, even if it's not successful, it's the type of thing that needs to happen in order for crypto and tech like Solana to start reaching mainstream adoption appeal and usage. And definitely, you know, as you sort of pair this with the work that they're doing with the phone and all of this stuff, um, it gets interesting to see what the future trajectory of these spaces could be. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I'm definitely seeing from the Solana team, it's something that I'm not seeing elsewhere, which is they are making a concerted effort to build a fashionable, popular consumer brand in Solana. And, you know, when <clears throat> when you think about the big winners in any of like the major tech arms races and the big epochs in, in tech, usually the the brands that have like the biggest kind of fashionable appeal, assuming they have like great tech alongside this, that establish some kind of like clear brand identity on the consumer level, end up doing pretty well in the long term. I think what the way Solana see themselves, right, is ultimately they see them as the uh, themselves as like the Apple of of Web three, and they've got this kind of sleek design. They want this like really interesting um, connection with the community, and uh, I I think you know I I like the way they're going about it. It's it's bold, and while we'll see how sustainable it is, it's definitely reaching more people in in like outside of Web three, should I say so. I'm all for stuff like this. I think it's good for the industry as a whole and certainly for onboarding and education. So yeah, I'm all for it. Right, let's jump into the next one. What, uh, we, we've got some interesting big microstrategy news, right? Yeah, so MicroStrategy has reported a $917 million Bitcoin impairment charge. Um, MicroStrategy, you may be familiar with, it's, the, it's an old company. It was actually founded in 1989. Um, and it's the largest independent publicly traded cloud software company. And it claims to be the most prominent company holding Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Saylor famously has been the CEO mm-hmm. since its launch in 89. But actually just, I think it was yesterday, yep. announced that he was going to transition over to executive chairman. Um, I mean, we all know Saylor as like the super vocal, uh, uh, like... <sighs> 
almost, you know, a meme level of Bitcoin <laughs> uh, maximalist on if, Twitter. If I ever, if, if it's ever a bear market and I'm a bit down and I'm like, damn, my bags are really low. I just... I just throw on a Michael Saylor podcast, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're <laughs> Bitcoin to one million. We're all getting Lambos. It's gonna be great." I mean, he's, <laughs> I, I actually think he's an incredibly smart individual and has made yeah. some incredible bets. So I, I don't think he's com- completely lacking in, in in awareness. He has strong conviction. It sounds like in his role that of exec chairman that he's focusing a lot more actually on the Bitcoin investments side of MicroStrategy, which is largely the, the, the big chunk of MicroStrategy in all fairness. But it seems like he's he's just completely focusing on that now from what I'm reading. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that's definitely where his passion is as well. Mm. But nevertheless, we are in a crypto winter. And so it's expected that MicroStrategy and similar firms with huge Bitcoin holdings would be facing uh, not the not the greatest <laughs> earnings and balance sheets, right? And so, yeah, $917 million Bitcoin impairment charge. What is an impairment charge? Effectively, it is describing a drastic reduction or loss in the recoverable value of an asset. So in the case of MicroStrategy's Bitcoin holdings, the impairment charge is going to reflect the decline in the price of Bitcoin compared to when MicroStrategy purchased it. Uh, So this is somewhat to be expected because of how much they're holding, but it's worth noting, this is a pretty sharp increase from their impairment charge in the first quarter of 2022, which was right around $170 million. They're going through some difficult times. But since August of 2020, they've bought about like 130,000 Bitcoin at an average price of $30,000 a coin. So nearly as many uh, as you have, have, Austin. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, So actually when Bitcoin hit its all time high of around $68,000 per coin back in November of 2021, the total value of their Bitcoin holdings was around $8 billion. So they've had their highs. Maybe they're facing some of their lows. You know, with it down around $23,000 per coin, these holdings total at about $2.9 billion. But mm. they've kept buying. They've they've acquired around 420 Bitcoin at around $20,000 as well. And of course, Sailor has famously been... <laughs> you know, been noted as somebody that's just buy, buy, buy on all of this stuff. So man has conviction. I'll give him that. (laughs) He certainly does. And micro strategy is, I think, you know, they're, they're along for the ride through the peaks and the valleys. All right. Moving on to another large player, uh, Meta's metaverse division lost $2.8 $2.8 billion in Q2, which brings their year-to-date losses to about $5.7 billion. This is as of their most recent earnings call. Now, it's worth noting that the Metaverse division, which is part of Facebook Reality Labs, is distinct from the big consumer brands like Facebook, yeah. Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp. So they're dealing with different balance sheets, and they're not going to be offset by the huge consumer brands. Really, they're focused on building the hardware, software, and content that is central to Meta's push into the metaverse. Nevertheless- I would, I would call this a Skunkworks team, but I don't think any Skunkworks team loses $5.7 billion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's more than that's Sailor's Bitcoin bag. 
<laughs> you know, yes, that's, that's a lot. it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing to think about the numbers that they're dealing with. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that Skunk Works team would uh, be a skunk with a bullet in its head. I think. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, anyway, they have, uh, yeah, according to their Q2 earnings report, Facebook Reality Labs actually actually did generate about $452 million in revenue. So it's not like only and exclusively losing money, um, but that is down uh, by about 35% from last quarter. Last year, they had an annual loss of $10.2 billion. They're currently on track to exceed that in 2022. But Zuck seems pretty committed to uh, to this this investment. He says, quote, this is obviously a very expensive undertaking over the next several years, but as the metaverse becomes more important in every part of how we live, I'm confident that we're going to be glad we played an important role in building this. And then Mm. he says, I feel even more strongly now that developing these platforms will unlock hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions over time. And this is a common theme that we've seen with these firms. I think, you know, Binance certainly being one of them. We've talked about several others. Mm-hmm. Um, FTX being a, another huge player that is, you know, viewing um, the market downturn and huge investments that they're making as opportunities to own and corner the market. And in Meta's case, the FTC is already kind of paying attention to that. In fact, they're suing them to stop them from, quote, owning the entire metaverse, which yeah. it sounds like is their plan. I mean, um, if, I recent- saw, if I saw uh, kind of Meta's uh, like mission statement in internally, I imagine it would probably read owning the entire metaverse. So I can understand why the FTC is planning on suing them. I have such mixed feelings about the investments Meta are making here because on one side, right, like I, I, I am obviously a proponent of the development and expansion of the metaverse and I'm, I'm, I'm working within that right now, but with Meta doing this, it's kind of good for that. But oh, man, I really don't want Meta to be kind of just doing what they do with Web uh, with Web two in in Web three and just having a giant walled garden. Which I'll yeah, also say, even in the even in the decentralized sides of um, <clears throat> the metaverse space right now, one of my biggest gripes is actually you know, we we talk a lot about this like interoperability and being able to just seamlessly move from like one virtual world to the other yet every quote-unquote decentralized team is building a walled garden with a lack of interoperability so you know it's 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 a tricky one i i it's it's a tough one to kind of reconcile in that respect yeah it is i mean definitely you can see here that like meta's strategy though is kind of it's the same playbook but being applied to a different a new ecosystem and they're really focusing on the ecosystem side of things which is like let's build the metaverse but if you look at the uh, the other side of their earnings call with uh advertising potential being relatively tapped in web 2 if not mm. declining in certain uh properties you can imagine which ones those may be um and then you know facebook obviously declining in relevance uh, and then you look at instagram which has famously over the course of the past couple of weeks been basically testing a clone of tiktok <laughs> yeah um you can you can see that they're they're really kind of reaching out to grab for relevance and the next growth opportunity and i think that if you kind of read between the lines the metaverse and ads in the metaverse would maybe be 
one of those big growth opportunities. So I think that there's reason to be, you know, skeptical, cautiously optimistic about all of this. Obviously, Meta would have positive impacts on the growth and adoption of the metaverse, but that all comes with a cost. It was interesting. I saw Vitalik recently tweeted something to the effect of like, Meta's vision of the metaverse will happen, but it won't be them that holds the keys or or something like that, which Mm. is like, you know, probably... They they will contribute to the metaverse happening. They will have a significant and profound impact on it. And that vision that they are talking about will happen, but they're not going to be quite as dominant, most likely, in that space as they are in Web 2. Um, so interesting I, well, I, times ahead. Yeah, so I I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, I my my take on this is that they will either completely dominate like they do in Web 2, or they will have zero relevance at all. I I don't think there'll be any in between. And the thing that makes me have a little bit more, and why I'm kind of concerned, I guess, on why I think that Meta is much more likely to be the runaway winner here and, and have that kind of walled garden is... When you look at the history of of Meta and where they've been incredibly successful, um, it stemmed around their ability to very, very effectively run uh, the the software and growth side of their business. Their, Their product development has been incredibly good on the software side. Where they, and I think where they have some regrets, and you can kind of see this in their slow entry points into the market um, is with hardware, right? We look at like Facebook portal and I'm, I'm not sure how well that's doing now. I'm guessing not too bad, but you know, they were quite late into that, that space and they'd never really had this perfect blend where competitors did. They'd never entered into the smartphone space, which I would almost guarantee they regret and had never been able to compete with Apple at that level as a result. What I see with this play is this the first time where I look at Meta and I say I see them pairing an incredibly effective hardware strategy with an incredibly effective software strategy. Uh, well, a to yet be proven software strategy. They are the biggest player in the VR space. They have been in this space for a long time. They've got a huge amount of uh, talent and capital behind VR, well, just like XR, if you like, uh, overall. And I think that if there is something that can give them the edge here, I think it could be that. That's my take. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, I totally agree. One. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of what the FTC is worried about too, because mm. specifically that that suit that they are embarking on is to block Meta's purchase of the VR fitness app maker within. So yeah, yeah definitely um, Meta is going to continue to be a huge player in this space. And I think you're right on the money with the threat and the opportunity that they pose. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. That's all we've got time for today, Austin. Um, Thanks again, and see you next week. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.